You know, legalism is something that we all hate, but it's something we all do. That's the problem with it, right? I mean, come on, if we're honest, we have to admit that we have these blind spot areas in our lives. Those are the areas that we can see very clearly uh, where other people mess up, but it's hard for us to see us doing the same thing in our lives, but we do. Um, we condemn others for things that we routinely do, right? And, and if we're honest, it's true. We do. We all do that. We're all kind of hypocrites. We really are. And, and we want to talk a little bit about that because legalism leads to hypocrisy. And, and what we're going to look at this weekend is we're going to look at this idea of legalism. Jesus is going to address legalism. And legalism is alive and well in churches. And we want to talk about that and, and, and kind of figure out, well, how do we fall into that? How do we become legalistic? And because we don't really like it and we don't want to feel like we're part of a legalistic group, but yet it's easy to fall into that trap. So we're going to look at, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and I want you to follow along with me. We're in chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And if you go to page 818, uh, you'll find where we're going to be. And I want to, let me, while you're turning there, let me just give you kind of a big picture of what's happening, what Mark is doing. Mark is showing us that Jesus has power, that he's not just an ordinary man, that he can heal people that he can cast out demons. He is gathering his disciples together, and they are, a, they are a different group of people. They weren't the ones that you would pick for your team, but Jesus chose them. And they're, now they're out, and they're teaching, and they're casting out demons, and they're healing the sick. And all the people are coming to him, and Jesus is feeding people from, from a little kid's lunch, and he's doing all these miracles. But here is the point where Jesus runs in, and this is what Mark's going to hit on, conflict. And the conflict is with the religious establishment of his day. He's going to butt heads with them, and this is going to be a real problem. And so Mark is showing us that it wasn't all clear sailing for Jesus. There was a time in his ministry where he began to run into conflict with the religious leaders, and this was going to ultimately lead to his crucifixion. So let's look at that passage. It's Mark chapter 7, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. You can follow along with me, page 818. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, they were unwashed. And then you see in parentheses in, your, in the NIV, the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless... Their hand, they, they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they washed. And they observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. All right, so that, that's probably in your Bible in parentheses. And what Mark is doing is he's trying to give the reader, he's trying to give us background information to why this is an issue, okay, for the religious leaders. And then we go back to the text. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? In other words, why don't they wash their hands the way that everybody's supposed to do it, the way we teach? 
Jesus replied, or he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You should underline that in your Bible. They worship me in in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You, you You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, he's quoting the Old Testament now, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what, is, what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So let's just summarize what we've read. First thing, Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law about the ceremonial washing practices that his disciples don't seem to be carrying out. And they say, why do your disciples live according, they don't live according to the tradition of the elders instead of uh, when they eat with their hands with defiled, uh, they eat their food with defiled hands. So Jesus calls them hypocrites and he condemns their behavior. He says, these people, and speaking to the religious leaders, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then he gives an example of their hypocrisy. He basically quotes two commands from the Old Testament, and we don't have really time to go in there, but essentially the commands mean this, that both of these commands were geared upon honoring parents, honoring parents. That was a really important thing. And he questions the use of Corbin uh, as a way of sidestepping their responsibility. In other words, this Corbin exception clause was was a way for them to sidestep their honoring their parents. We'll talk more about this Corbin thing in a moment. But what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk about, I was just thinking as I was preparing this, how do we become hypocrites? Because it's not like we wake up one day and go, you know, I really feel like my life calling has become the best hypocrite that I could possibly be. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite, but some of us have been called hypocrites. And some of us, uh, you know, we don't want to be labeled hypocrites, but maybe we are. And, and I thought about how do we become hypocrites? And I think there are a number of things that, that we do that help us, uh, or that don't help us, they hinder us because it pushes us into that area of legalism and hypocrisy. The first one is this, and it's in your notes. We put fences further than God's word. We put fences further than God's word. Now, what do I mean by that? The tradition of the Pharisees was uh, filled with additions of additional scriptures. You read about that, and if you read, the, you, if you know anything about Jewish history, they have the, the, the Talmud, they have all these different things, and basically what they're doing is they're taking the Old Testament law and they're applying it. And they're saying, well, it applies here, it applies like this. So what they're doing is they're making a commentary of how the law applies to everyday life. Because some people say, well, what, what does this mean to me today? Well, you know, how does this apply? And so they try to do that. So the issue here that we're talking about is washings. 
Now, the Bible only required washings of the priests uh, who were going to serve at the temple. That was the only instruction in the Old Testament, that when a, te- when a priest was going to go in and serve in the temple, they had to wash. That was the only command in the Old Testament. So the, 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 violati- the violation of Jesus' disciples was not the Old Testament law. It was the interpretation of the law. In other words, they had put the fences a little bit further. The elders had developed a fence called halakot, uh, it was one of the more specific or strict rules than those of the Bible. They de- demanded that everyone wash their hands in order to be pure. They effectively put a fence further than the Word of God. Now, you would say, well, that was them. That's not us. We don't do that today. Oh, really? Okay. Some of you have heard of the nasty nine, the terrible ten, and the dirty dozen right? There there was always this list, right? And some of you are going, I have no idea. I think you mentioned a movie, The Dirty Dozen, but I have no idea what you're talking about. What in the world are you talking about? Well, there are a number of of sex denominations that have basically listed what Uh, things are acceptable and mostly what are not acceptable. And it kind of goes like this. There's always certain things that are always... So in other words, they say uh, they put the fence further than the Word of God. Okay? So there's certain things that you should never do. Now, here's a a basic starting list. If you want to start your own legalistic list, here's the things you ought to begin with. All right? Drinking dancing. So if you're going to go out and drink and dance tonight, you are going to violate two of those, okay? Smoking, playing cards. Oh, no more euchre. Okay, here we go. Going to the movies. Certain activities on Sunday, meaning other than taking a nap, you don't do anything. I mean, there was basically these lists of things. I mean, if you go back, now they're not, they're not, they're not that strong. I mean, you could find a couple churches probably in town that still enforce those. But essentially, most people in most churches don't pay attention to those. Now, here's the thing. They began with good motives. People basically said, listen, it's like a parent, right? You, you say, uh, I don't want Johnny to go to the road, so I don't want him to go out of the house. And you say, if he doesn't go out of the house, he'll never go near the road, right? And so you kind of put those fences, and those are, you know, you start with good motives. But um, it's the idea that, well, we certainly don't want to violate Scripture, so let's just put the fence a little bit further than the Word of God. So let me just, uh, let me just take a moment and talk about one. One of the ones that was most common, and this, you know, recently has become kind of a non-issue, but it wasn't always a non-issue, and it was drinking. And uh, people say, people, people, pastors will get up there and say, you should not drink, period. Well, here's the problem with that. Now, now get good motives because they're saying don't drink because then you'll never get drunk. And what we, you know, it, so, you know, the, the, that, that was the reasoning behind it. If I don't ever drink, then I'll never be drunk. So you put the fence a little further to Scripture. But here's the problem. The direction of Scripture is don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians, right? Five, 
don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't say don't drink. It says don't be drunk. And that leads to interpretation problems. I remember when I was a student, uh, some of you are going to remember this name. Most of you are not. J. Vernon McGee was speaking. And he said, my Lord would never turn the water into real wine. Well, he did. Because when you read the passage, it says when the men were well drunk, meaning intoxicated or feeling pretty, you know, good, you bring the good wine out. So it was absolutely not grape juice. So this leads to problems because they drank wine. And yes, it wasn't as fermented and it wasn't as strong as we, you know, we don't have to get into those arguments. The point was you could get drunk on it. Here's the point. The problem is we make these man-made traditions, we make them equal to the word of God. And we say, because you drank, you sinned. Well, no, that's not really true. These traditions produce a level of superiority and hypocrisy. And here's how it plays out. You say, well, I don't drink and I don't dance. And I don't play euchre. And I don't go to movies. I wait and I watch them on DVD when... <laughs> right right that's like the, you can slip under the violation there you know i know how the game is played okay but you know and what you do is you begin look at me look at how good i am compared to everyone else who is a sinner around me we're a pharisee and we've fallen into hypocrisy now let me just let me just stop for a minute and call time out and just say this i am concerned about christians and use of alcohol i really am I'm concerned because sometimes when I'm, again, who, you know, I'm nobody, but I'm concerned. Carol and I don't really, you know, we don't really go to like stuff where they're serving a lot of alcohol because we're afraid we might run into some of you folks and you're going to be all drunk. (laughs) And it's going to make things all very awkward. You know, the last time you saw them, they were kind of hammered. You know, that makes things pretty awkward, the next conversation you have. But the point is, the point I'm trying to, you know, say is this. Some, we ha- there's a reason why we have a CR ministry, a Celebrate Recovery ministry. Because alcoholism is a real big problem in this community And if you are a Christian, you ought to be very careful about how you use alcohol for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of what it can do to you. I've never met a drunk person that is more intelligent or sharper. Uh, I find that exactly the opposite. The other thing I'll say is this. You may have the freedom to use alcohol, but you may be dealing, you may have somebody else, a brother or sister who is a recovering alcoholic. You know, I think putting alcohol out at that point, if you were part of a life group or something like that, is insensitive. And Scripture speaks on that. That's all I'm saying. Just be, be smart about it. Be smart about it. You may have the freedom, and we don't have to put the fence further, but let's be smart about it. Here's the point, and this is in your notes. Legalism places man-made traditions further than the limits of God's Word. Let's not go further than God's Word, but let's also be smart about it, right? All right, here's the second thing that we learn. We, can, we make excuses for why God's word doesn't apply to us. Now, one of the things that is very hard for Americans to wrap around the Bible is this. The biblical society, both the Old and New Testament, is so different than ours. 
the biblical society was a society of family and community solidarity. Your actions were always you as a person, always thought of your actions of how they would affect the community, how they would affect your family. That was a very strong pull, and it still is. In a lot of, we know a lot of communities, even in America, where the community and the family pull is very strong and very important. And so, in a sense, when it says honor your father and mother, that was a really strong call to commitment. That was a, a, there was a solidarity there. There was a, a glue there. That was really significant. If you dishonored your parents, that was like, you were like a really bad person. So this was a really bad thing. In America, it's like, yeah, it's, it's all about me. And it is. That's America. It's all about me. What, what do I want to do? I don't really care about other people. We say we do, but in the end, it's going to be, what's the best thing for me? They don't think that way. In, in that society, they think, what is the best thing for the community, for the family? That's why when we look at the prodigal son, that was a slap in the dad's face. That was like the worst thing you could possibly do. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So that's, that's what's going on here. So in Jesus' day, you had a responsibility to your family, your community, and you were to show respect and care for your parents. You were to honor them and show respect. And so you see that in the Old Testament law, honor your parents, honor your mother and your father. And, uh, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had found a way to bypass God's law with their exception clauses. They were, making, uh, they were taking their money and they were claiming it was Corbin. So here's kind of what was going on here. The idea here was as your parents get older, you were to take care of them. You were to, man, you know, you, you were to watch over them. They, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have, you know, the community. They, they, you were responsible for your parents to care for them and to watch over them. And so what they were doing, what the Pharisees were doing, is they created this Corbin exception clause. And the Corbin exception clause was essentially this. It basically said that if you had resources, if you had money and things, you could declare them Corbin. In other words, they're dedicated to God, right? Now, you could use them, but they were dedicated to God. But when, when it came down to your parents needing help, you, you could say legally to your parents, Oh, Mom, Dad, I wish I could help you. I don't have any resources. They're all Corbin. They're all dedicated to God. I wish that I had resources, but I don't have any resources. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, clearly, the law says that you're to honor your parents. You're to take care of your parents. You're to watch over your parents. And you've, recre- you've created a loophole where you absolutely have resources to carry this out, but you now are making up your own laws and getting around the real laws there. Now, that's very interesting because we do the same thing. We often make excuses for why we don't need to obey God's commands. One of the worst of these, and uh, my parents did it, I probably did it too. I'll just throw, throw my hat in there and say, I, I did this too. When you do something really bad, like you swear in front of your kids or you do something and your kid calls you out on it and says, well, you swore, you did that. And you say, what do you say? Well, I'm a mommy or daddy or I'm a parent. It's okay for me to do it, but not for you. Oh, really? (laughs) 
Have you ever done something like that? You, you, you say, well, that's mommy or daddy, and we're allowed to sin. Like, to, you know, to do things like that. <laughs> we're also, here's the other thing. We're also really good at seeing the blind spots of other people, as I said before. You know, we see bad drivers, but we don't think we're a bad driver. We see people who are dishonest, but we don't think we're dishonest. You know, we see people who tell lies, but we never tell a lie. We never lie. Here's a fun little exercise for you to do on the way home. Find a family member or friend, maybe they're with you, and you begin to each take a turn and point out each other's blind spots on the way home. Won't that be a bunch of fun? No, that's a bad idea. And I would say, don't do that because it's going to turn into an argument real quick. I would just say to you, just because from your reaction, that you absolutely know that this would not be a good thing. I mean, this is like your wife saying to you, Does the, do these jeans make me look fat? You can't win no matter what you say. And you can't think about it. You have to have an instantaneous answer or it's too late. You, you've already blown it. So this is kind of how this works. But the point is, we do this, don't we? We're able to see the blind spots of other people, but we can't see our own. We're hypocrites. We hold people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. One of the great hits that Christians get, and you've probably heard people say this, the biggest, big, biggest knocks on the church community They say, well, I'll never go to a church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. We are. There's not a person in this room that's not a hypocrite. We all are hypocrites. We're all sinners. We all blow it. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We do things that we're ashamed of. We do that. But here's the thing. The same people that say we're hypocrites are also hypocrites. And here's how they're hypocrites. You say, well, they don't believe the Bible. They don't hold the Bible. But you know what? Most people I find have a moral standard. They say, well, I I believe in these things are important. And and then you you follow them around a little bit. You go, well, I thought you said that was important. You just violated that. That's your own standard that you're violating. You're a hypocrite, right? That's the point. But here's the thing. If we play fast and loose with God's word and only obey what we feel applies to us, which is what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing, and they were providing this loophole for people saying, yes, I know the law says that I'm supposed to take care of my parents, but I don't really want to, so now I don't have to. When we do that, uh, we're making ourselves the final judge of authority in our lives. And this is a real problem. Here's how this is playing out right now before us. Okay, there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's how this is playing out. Because they're saying, yeah, I don't like what God's word says in this area, so I'm going to bypass it. Because I don't really think it's for me for today. And you say, well, nobody does that. Well, there's a whole bunch of people doing that. We have Christians today who are sleeping around with someone who is not their spouse, and they still make the claim that they're living a moral life. That's happening right now in Christianity. People who say, I'm a Christian, and I'm sleeping around with people who are not my, my, I'm not married to them. 
but I still am a moral person. Okay, I guess from your standard you are, but not from the Word of God. We, we, we have some Christians who operate with little or no conscience, who gossip, who, who, who are dishonest and lazy, who pick and choose which parts of God's Word they're going to obey, and they feel no need to repent at all. It's a problem. We're just like the Pharisees and the religious leaders in that we can find excuses for all kinds of bad behavior and justify it. We do it all the time. Can we just be honest about that, that we do that? That we look at the Pharisees and say, oh man, what a bunch of bad guys they, they were. You're just as bad. Maybe not as bad, but you're, you're up there. So am I, by the way. I don't, don't think I'm not t- putting myself there. Here's the point. If you are the final arbitrator of truth in your life, you're not living with Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's just plain and simple. If you are the final arbitrator of truth in your life, Jesus is not the Lord of your life. Jesus said, thy word, your word, God, is truth. Not me, your word. All right, here's the application or the question I'm asking you. What excuses are you making for your bad behavior? What are you doing? What behavior are you doing? And you're excusing it away because I guarantee you there's something. Here's the third thing. We practice religion instead of all out, an all-out heartfelt pursuit of God. You know, we can do the right things for the wrong reasons, can't we? Can we, can we, we, do, we do that, don't we? We could do things because we have to, because we want something from somebody. Religion is oftentimes mankind doing things to be accepted to God. There are many people who are going to church this weekend, and I mean when I say going to church, they're not part of a church community because they don't really do any community stuff. They just show up at a place at a certain time, and they go through the motions of doing church. Now, why do they do that? They say prayers. They recite things back and forth. And they do that because one day they want to feel that they uh, deserve to go to heaven. They are practicing religion, but if there was a way that they could get away without doing it, they would find that way. You know, um, it's possible to perfectly follow the rules. It'd be a long way away from God. Isn't that, what, isn't that essentially what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders? You, your hearts are far from me. You think you're doing all the right things, but your hearts are far from me. I think, uh, you know, think of the passages in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Because the religious people were saying, the religious leaders were saying, so, well, I've never murdered anyone. Jesus, good for you. Have you ever called your brother an idiot? Well, I've never had, I, I've never slept with somebody, uh, you know, I've never uh, slept with somebody who's not my wife. Really? Have you ever looked at a woman in lust? Whoa, Jesus, hold on, time out. You know, I think of the story of the two sons. Remember the, the you know, we, we call it the story of the prodigal son, but it's really the story of the two sons. So the younger one, you know the story, the younger one comes to his father and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Give it to me. I'm leaving. 
And uh, like I said, in that society, this was like one of the greatest slaps in the face that you could ever do to a parent. It was, uh, I don't really care about you. I just want what you can give me. And he goes off. He squanders everything. He shames his father and his family. And everyone in town remembers him as the bad boy, right? And most people would say he's the bad one. He's the one who's far from, and the father represents God, right? So he's the one who's far from God. The older son, though, stayed and he worked with his father. He was seen by the community as he's the good boy. He's right with his father. He's doing all the right things. He stayed with his father and he worked in the fields day after day after day. He's the good boy. The bad boy is the one that's out squandering the inheritance. The good boy is the one with the dad. Then one day the younger son He repents and he returns to the joy of his father. We're told that he he came to his senses or he repented. And repentance is just turning 180. It's just turning away, you know, because he was going away from the father. He turns to the father and he plans on how he's going to come back to the father. And he returns to his father and he essentially says to his father, I'm so sorry, I owe you everything. I've messed up, I was so wrong. I'm not worthy to even be a hired hand. I owe you. That's what the younger son said to the father. The father would have none of it. He throws a robe on, his, puts a ring on his finger and he throws a party. The older son's out in the field and a, a servant comes out and tells him that what's all the ruckus we, your dad has killed a fatted calf there's a party going on and the dad comes out from the party and sp- speaks to his older son and his older son is livid with his father throwing a party for his brother um, he can't even if you read the passage very interesting he can't even bring himself to say my brother you know what he call, he says you, this son of yours He's not my brother, he's your son. And he essentially says to the father, I've worked in the field, I haven't left, I, and you haven't given me. In other words, what does he say to the father? The younger son repents and he says, I owe you. The older son says, you owe me. You owe me. And we're not told how the story ends. We, we know how it ends with the younger son, but we don't know how it ends with the younger son. And many people believe that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. And he was saying, this is what religion produces. This is what legalism produces. It produces a relationship where we say to God, you owe me. We all know stories of people who have walked away from God and they've, they've said, I am done with God. And essentially what they said is, God owed me and he never came through. See, we thought the younger son was lost for, and for a time he was. But in the end, the older son, it was the older son who was really lost. The younger son caught the heart of the father through repentance The older son became hard-hearted because he was following the rules. You can always find a set of rules to keep. We can always say, well, I never murdered anyone. I never had an affair. And Jesus says, well, have you ever lusted? Have you ever called your brother an idiot? Jesus is calling out hypocrisy. You could follow the rules 
perfectly and miss the heart of God. And the only way you'll catch the heart of God is that you acknowledge that you're a hypocrite and that you need to repent. So where are you? Can you admit that you're a hypocrite? Are you willing to continually repent to prevent your heart from... You, you don't just repent once. You continually repent. When God points out a blind spot that you have in your life, you repent of it. You acknowledge it. You take ownership for it. You don't blame others for it. You say, this is on me. This is my problem. The younger son basically came to his senses and took full ownership to everything that he did. He didn't blame his older brother. He didn't blame his father. He didn't blame anyone other than himself. He says, it's on me. Are you setting up fences beyond the word of God, further than God's word? Are you making excuses for your bad behavior? Uh, I mean, seriously, are, are you making excuses to say, well, it's not a... Last, and this is probably most important, are you following religion or are you pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ? There's a world of difference there. For 18 years of my life, I was following a religion. And then I began a pursuit of Jesus Christ after I repented. And it changed my life forever. But it's easy to move back into that following of religion. So where are you at? <laughs> what is it that the Spirit of God is saying through the Word of God today to your heart that needs to change? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because uh, in a way we are all hypocrites. And it's easy for us to allow our hearts to get very hard and to justify bad behavior, to put fences further than your word, to be critical of others for behavior that we do on a regular basis. Help us to learn from the two sons. To remember only one son repented and the other felt like you owed him. Help us to remember what it means to have a broken heart, to take ownership for our sins. And Father, thank you for the way that you work in our lives and show us those areas that need change. Help us to live honestly with you and with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.